Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you this week from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy. News that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, a billboard featuring Donald Trump is facing charges of blasphemy, and the bankruptcy case against the Boy Scouts of America moves forward. We begin today with news that Brian Houston, the founder of the Hillsong Movement, has stepped down from the organization's governing boards. Yeah, Hillsong founder Brian Houston told church members in a September 17th email that he has stepped down from his role on the governing boards for the Australia-based church, making the move just weeks before he goes on trial uh, on charges that he covered up child sex crimes committed by his late father, Frank Houston, in the 1970s. Brian Houston said that he would remain global senior pastor of Hillsong. He did, which is remarkable in a way, since uh, Brian Houston was subpoenaed a couple of weeks ago to appear in court on October 5th for the alleged concealment of child sex offenses. He faces up to five years in jail. An Australian government commission found in 2014 that Houston had made no attempt to report his father to the police after Frank Houston confessed to him in 1999 that he had sexually abused a seven-year-old boy in the 1970s. Yeah, that's right. And some of uh, Houston's supporters have pointed out that the abuse took place more than 50 years ago, which of course doesn't probably make a big difference to the victim himself, and that Brian Houston himself didn't commit the abuse. However, Houston is required by law to report abuse when he learns of it, and a 2014 commission investigating the case found that Brian Houston failed to come forward despite evidence that he had no doubt that his father's conduct was criminal. Our next story involves a Kentucky lawsuit that has been going on for more than 20 years. Yeah, the American Civil Liberties Union and Americans United for Separation of Church and State, two historically liberal groups, announced that a Kentucky lawsuit they had filed more than 20 years ago had been settled. Uh, The lawsuit was against Sunrise Children's Services, formerly uh, known as the Kentucky Baptist Homes for Children. Uh, They fired an employee way back in 1998 because she was a lesbian. Her behavior violated the Christian group's code of behavior. However, because Sunrise takes taxpayer funds, the ACLU and Americans United maintained that the Christian group violated anti-discrimination laws and regulations that were a part of the grants that they received. So what does this settlement call for? Uh, The state of Kentucky agreed in the settlement to inform children that would be placed in residential care and their parents of the religious affiliation of the facility and to provide an alternative placement if they object to the group's Christian values. Sunrise Children's Services, which is still controlled by the Kentucky Baptist Convention, opposes this settlement and said that they plan to appeal the decision to the 6th U.S. Circuit Court. Next up is a story about Christian apologist Josh McDowell. He apologized for comments he made at a conference that were racially insensitive. 
Yeah, best-selling Christian author and speaker Josh McDowell uh, denounced the idea of systemic racism at a national conference of Christian counselors, saying that black Americans and other minorities were not raised to value hard work or education. Josh McDowell is best known for his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and other books that defend the Christian faith. He gave that speech on Saturday at a meeting of the American Association of Christian Counselors. In his speech, McDowell denounced critical race theory, which is an academic field of study that he says opposes Christian teaching. And many Christian teachers agree with him that critical race theory does indeed have Marxist roots that... Uh, philosophically oppose Christianity. Yeah, that's right. Uh, In fact, we've written about critical race theory uh, here at Ministry Watch as well. But Joshua McDowell went on to say that the problems in minority communities are not because of racism, systemic racism in particular, but because most blacks and other minorities grew up in families that were not, and these are Joshua McDowell's own words, placing a big emphasis on education. And the comments went viral on social media. Yeah, they did. And to Josh McDowell's credit, he immediately apologized for them. He said the comments do not reflect his beliefs. He said his comments about minority families do not reflect reality. He went on to say that racism has kept equality from being achieved in our nation. And a day later, he issued another statement saying that his comments were wrong and hurt many people and that he was going to step away from ministry and speaking engagements for a season of listening and to address growth areas that he's been made aware of because of this incident. Now, Warren, you know Josh McDowell. Do you have anything to add to this? Well, I do just a bit. I mean, for one thing, I do know Josh. I first met Josh when I was in college more than 40 years ago, and we have uh, maintained a friendship ever since. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Josh McDowell. He has been in many ways, a mentor uh, to me in my life, and he continues. Uh, we continue to stay in touch with each other. Uh, the only thing that uh, that I would like to add is that I think Josh uh, knows he made a big mistake here. Um, the fact that he uh, is stepping away from ministry for a season is an indication of that. And even though I'm, I don't want to sugarcoat um, the you know what Josh said, I, I do want to say that you know, this is not a bad way to deal with it. I wish more Christian leaders, when they make mistakes, would immediately admit it, immediately confess it, and immediately step away from ministry for a season of reflection and restoration. Um, This is, you know, doesn't, again, excuse what Josh McDowell said, uh, but I do think that he is taking the appropriate next steps, and I wish other Christian ministers that we're involved in similar situations, would do the same. Warren, let's look at one more story before the break, and that's the story of a controversial billboard down in Georgia that many Christians are calling blasphemous. Yeah, at first glance, the billboard looks like just any other political billboard. It has a large picture of Donald Trump, and whether you support Trump or not, there's certainly nothing improper about political billboards. Indeed, I should note that they are protected by the Constitution. But this billboard is not just a political statement. It also contains a Bible verse. Yeah, that's right. And I should be quick to add that that Bible verses on billboards are also protected by the Constitution. So there's nothing really wrong with that. Uh, But next to this big picture of Donald Trump are the words from Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6. 
unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now, these words are widely understood by Christians to be a prophecy about the birth of Jesus. The suggestion that Trump is the Messiah generated immediate backlash across social media from Christians and non-Christians alike. Yeah, there were calls um, of blasphemy from many Christians and accusations of violations of church and state from liberal groups. Now, the Bible is situated on a pretty well-traveled commuter route in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, which is uh, a suburb, kind of a uh, suburb of Chattanooga, just over the Georgia line, uh, near the border between Georgia and Tennessee. Uh, we don't yet know who sponsored the billboard. The sign is owned by Reagan Outdoor Advertising, which is based in Salt Lake City, and that organization does have a history of political involvement in Utah, but is not reportedly responsible itself for the Georgia sign. This is not the first time that such billboards have gone up. Yeah, in 2018, residents of St. Louis County, Missouri, were treated to a similar billboard that read, Make the Gospel Great Again, the Word Became Flesh, John 1.14. Many people thought that that billboard was suggesting that Donald Trump was the Word made flesh, uh, typically well understood as a reference to Jesus. And that billboard, too, also created a round of controversy. Uh, By the way, the Georgia billboard was taken down after only a few days, but not before it made big news locally and nationally. In fact, we've got a picture of the billboard that you can see at the Ministry Watch website. It's on the front page of our site. Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, the bankruptcy case involving the Boy Scouts moves forward. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we continue with news that a Delaware judge on Tuesday refused to delay a key hearing that could determine whether the Boy Scouts of America can emerge from bankruptcy later this year with a reorganization plan that would compensate thousands of men who say they were sexually abused as children. Yeah, the Boy Scouts, based in the Dallas suburb of Irving, Texas, has sought bankruptcy protection about a year and a half ago in February of 2020. Uh, They were seeking to halt hundreds of individual lawsuits and create a fund for men who say that they were molested as children by scoutmasters and others. Uh, Although the organization was facing 275 lawsuits at the time, it's now facing only a few lawsuits, but they involve 82,500 sexual abuse victims. Um, They're all wrapped up in this bankruptcy case. 
Tuesday's hearing was scheduled more than a month ago for the judge to consider whether the Boy Scouts' explanation of a reorganization plan that was filed in July without sufficient inf- information um, for abuse claimants and their creditors could go forward. So what happened at the hearing? Well, the judge tentatively approved a settlement package that would award about $1.8 billion to sexual abuse victims. That would make it one of the largest sex abuse victims' compensation packages in history, second only to the payouts to victims in the Catholic Church's clergy sex abuse cases. Now, you said it was a tentative agreement. Is it possible that it could still go off the rails? Well, yeah, there is a chance the largest victim group has signed off on the deal, uh, but other smaller groups say that that amount of money, $1.8 billion, even though it's a huge number, is just simply not enough. Um, they say that that amounts to only about $30,000 per victim. And, and even though, as I said, this group that's protesting the deal as a smaller group, it's still significant. One group in particular, for example, has about 4,500 victims in their um, case. Uh, They're saying that uh, the $1.8 billion doesn't include many assets still owned by the Boy Scouts of America. And as I said, they are calling it grossly inadequate. So where would more money come from? Well, in addition to other assets that the Boy Scouts own that they've found a way to keep outside of this settlement, um, they could go after individual churches. Um, The settlement that we just talked about, the $1.8 billion settlement, does include the Mormon church. They kicked in about $250 million to this $1.8 billion number. But it does not include any funds from other denominations that have sponsored scout troops and cup packs and explorer posts over the years. It's possible that more lawsuits against those denominations, and by the way, they include the Southern Baptists, the United Methodists, many of the largest denominations in the country, might still be in our future. Our next story is one of a daughter suing her father for sexual exploitation. Yeah, we talked about this story a little bit last week, Natasha. Uh, the, it's the story of a former Delaware pastor. His daughter was awarded $1.5 million by a federal jury um, after they found her father was liable for sexual abuse against her when she was a child. Alicia Cohen uh, is the daughter's name. She filed the lawsuit against her father, Ron Cohen, two years ago, seeking compensatory and punitive damages. And she said that her father began sexually abusing her when she was just three years old and started selling her body to others when she was five years old. It was also uh, in the lawsuit that other young children were filmed in sexual situations in Cohen's basement, uh, which was in Newark, Delaware, and that Cohen reproduced and sold the videos. Man, this is such a horrible case. And we reported on it last week. Yeah, we did talk about it some. Uh, This week, though, the verdict, Ronald Cohen was found liable by a preponderance of evidence of incest, sexual extortion, continuous sexual abuse of a child, assault or battery, infliction of emotional distress, distress and false imprisonment. However, the seven-member jury ruled in Cohen's favor regarding allegations of human trafficking and other alleged offenses. Cohen ran a ministry in the New York area called the Miracle Tabernacle Church. The lawsuit said that it was just a front for sex trafficking activities. And by the way, Ron Cohen is still active in ministry here in North Carolina. 
Orin, the Southern Baptist Convention is also facing a day of reckoning related to the sexual misconduct of some of its pastors. What's the latest there? Well, the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention met this past week, and members of that committee voted to spend about $1.6 million to fund an outside review into how the committee had handled sex, uh, handled claims of sexual abuse over the past 20 years, over the past two decades. Uh, they hired an organization called Guidepost Solutions for this investigation. But after two days of intense meetings and passionate debate, the committee remained divided on whether to waive attorney-client privilege as part of that investigation. Now, why is that point significant? Well, victim advocates say that the investigation will not be credible unless Guidepost Solutions has access to all communications related to sexual abuse cases. Uh, So they say that this indecision regarding the waiving of attorney-client privilege is just another example of the SBC trying to cover up abuse in the denomination. Others, including the new SBC president, Ed Litton, are in favor of giving Guidepost Solutions access to any and all documents they need to conduct a thorough investigation. So the bottom line here is that they're does seem to be some progress. The money was allocated and some agreements made to go forward with the investigation, but not an ultimate resolution until they get this attorney-client privilege question resolved. Warren, we're going to take another quick break here. When we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, COVID-19 continues to be in the news. Um, Vaccine refusal rates uh, seem to be a little bit higher among white evangelical Christians, but that hasn't stopped the International Missions Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, which deploys thousands of missionaries around the world uh, to require the shot of its missionaries. Uh, The global agency of the SBC and the largest Protestant evangelical denomination in the U.S. announced this month that it is requiring vaccinations for missionaries they're sending into the field uh, during the pandemic. Is the IMB the first U.S. missionary agency known to have such a mandate? 
Well, it is as far as we can tell. We looked around a little bit, and the United Methodists and other major denominations do not yet uh, have a mandate, even though they are actively encouraging the vaccine. The IMB policy applies to both current and future missionaries, as well as some staff members. Among the reasons that the IMB cited for the measure are health concerns and the fact that increasing numbers of countries are implementing their own vaccine requirements. So some field personnel have reported needing to show proof of vaccine in order to board airplanes and subways and enter restaurants and malls in the countries in which they're serving. Warren, our next story is an in-depth story that you wrote about the Bible translation industry. It's a big story, more than 2,500 words. Can you give us just the gist of it? Yeah, the gist of it is that the Bible translation industry has been making promises to donors for decades, uh, but it's difficult to find evidence that these promises are being fulfilled. The industry takes in about $500 million per year. That's half a billion dollars each and every year from donors. And it has been making promises for years that it was on the verge of translating the last languages on earth that need a translation. They've been doing this with campaigns, for example, called the Last Languages Campaign. But the reality is that there are still more than 3,000 languages without a translation of the Bible, and that half a billion dollars, the Bible translation industry is producing only about 15 new Bible translations per year. Doesn't take a math genius, Natasha, to do a little calculating there. 3,000 languages, 15 per year, it'll take 300 years to finish the task at that rate, not the dozen or so years that the Bible translation industry and some of its major players have been promising for more than 20 years. Those are pretty tough accusations. Well, they are, but I think the reporting in our story does support them. Uh, we don't have time to go into the story in detail here, but I do recommend that anyone listening to us, who, especially if you're concerned about Bible translation and reaching unreached people groups, and especially if you're a donor uh, to Bible translation organizations, you should check out our story. It's right on the front page of the Ministry Watch website. And who do you have in the Ministries Making a Difference column this week? Well, as I said before, COVID-19 relief work is still kind of front and center and sort of driving the news here. Two international Church of the Nazarene congregations are finding practical ways to serve their local communities. Uh, one church in Boa Vista, Brazil, has launched a soup of life ministry setting up outside a hospital uh, to give out prepackaged containers of food. And the Good Samaritan Health Center of Gwinnett County in Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta, is wrapping up construction of a new screening prevention annex. It'll be a 500-square-foot addition to its facility, open to scheduled to open later this month. It'll provide an indoor area for COVID-19 screening, testing, and evaluation. Uh, the nonprofit uh, health care center focuses historically on dental care and health care for the uninsured or the underinsured, but they've been hosting COVID testing and vaccinations throughout the pandemic. In fact, in 2020, the center was testing as many as 800 to 900 people per month. Any final thoughts before we go? Well, I'd like to thank everyone who attended our How to Find and Read a Form 990 webinar yesterday. We sold out, if sold out is exactly the right expression to use since it was a free event. Uh, if you were not able to get in on it and you still want to, don't despair. We're going to be holding it again in a couple of months. 
Anything else? Well, just a quick reminder that there's a free and easy way for you to support this podcast, and that is simply to give us a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the more attention we get from search engines, and that helps new listeners to find us. And by the way, when you give us a rating, leave us a comment. I read every one of them. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Holly Meyer, Randall Chase, Heather Green, Bob Smetania, Ann Stike, and you, Warren. I'm Natasha Smith in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. Mm